What's happening, Cardinal Nation? Welcome back to the Cardinal Call Podcast, a classroom podcast that has been designed to interview expert leaders and gain their insight, which will help take your organizational leadership and learning skills to the next level immediately. Let me start off with a quote today. Define success on your teams, achieve it by your own rules, and build a life you're proud of. That quote was made by Ann Sweeney, former president of the Disney ABC television group. Trust me, you don't want to miss any of our guests this month, as we will be interviewing some of the top women leaders in the community and university who have and are redefining success. These women are doing a phenomenal work. So be sure to listen to the Cardinal Call podcast, Women's History Edition, this month on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, or Google Podcasts. And you know what? You can always view us on YouTube every single Friday. I am Dr. C. Sean Owens, a.k.a. The Professor Owens, as you can see by my moniker below. With my co-host, I'm going to bring him in right now, the incomparable Dr. Andrew McCart. Dr. McCart, how are you doing today? Doing great, Dr. Owens. You know, this is uh, it's that time of year when the, the sun's out a little more, and I don't want to date us or freeze us, but everybody knows it's March because Women's History Month. But this is, uh, we're officially on spring break, and I, I can't think of a better way to celebrate it than the conversation that we're going to have with our guest today. No doubt, right? So we will we will continue this month with the great success we had last month with our initiative. Our initiative is called Faculty First Fridays, where we will interview some faculty member and they will give you some great insight into how they're doing their work and what they're doing to kind of make the world a better place. But before we jump into today's podcast with our special guest, I want to let our listeners and viewers know that if you are ready to learn to lead with compassion and expertise, you can save time and money by enrolling in UofL's Bachelor's in Organizational Leadership and Learning. The degree offers a unique prior learning assessment course, which awards you tuition-free college credit for your work experience. It gives you the ability to save up to $23,000. Learn more about this value and other amazing benefits to, in the BSSOL degree from uofl.me backslash BSOLL dash podcast. Again, you can learn more and get more information about the degree and the benefits of the degree from uofl.me backslash BSOLL dash podcast. So let me introduce today's guest. So Today's guest, she is from the great state of Kentucky. She is a UK grad. So Cardinal Nation, be generous and be forgiving. We are all allowed to make one mistake in life. She's been entrenched into the dynamic, dynamic world of special education from my research since 1996. And if my math is correct, that's approximately 25 years, which is amazing because she's only 30 years old. In addition, she's been a part of obtaining over 14 million dollars in grant money and she is leading the college of education and human development at the university of louisville so ladies and gentlemen go get your pens get your pencils get your notepads your memo boards your ipads whatever it is that you take notes on as we welcome into the classroom the one the only the invenerable dr amy lingo dean lingo how you doing today i'm doing well that is like the best introduction that i have ever had <laughs> In all of my 30 years, Dr. Owens, I just hey, have to tell you, I love that. I'm telling you, listen, we always want our guests to feel like a million dollars here on the Cardinal well, Call podcast. You, you accomplished that today. That's that's what we want. That's what we want. Me and Dr. McCart work really hard, work really hard. He does a lot of research to make me look really, really good. <laughs> So here on the Cardinal Call podcast, we don't like wasting a lot of time. We like jumping in and getting into our guests and digging, digging, digging to get the best information out of them so that our viewers can get some gold nuggets. So let me start off with another quote. Sheryl Sandberg said that leadership is about making others better as a result of your presence and making sure that impact lasts in your absence. So Dean Lingo, tell us, how do you define leadership? I think I do in a very similar way that uh, how you just articulated with that quote. I mean, my goal when I became the interim dean here in the college about two years ago was to think about how I could create a 
an environment and how I could create a college that would be better than I found it. Right. I think that's our, our that's what our responsibility is, is to to use whatever influence or impact that we have to make the world, the community a better place. So I do think it is about setting a vision. It's about getting people to buy into that vision through building relationships and really moving the work forward. And I think that if people can see that you're trying to do the right thing and make an impact within the community and within um, the college and the work that you're trying to do, I think it it's helpful. And I think people will, will follow. I think that's a great way to define leadership. Again, like I say, I, I think I've said it for probably, I don't know, Dr. McCart, nine, 10 weeks straight. Every person we ask this question to, they always add one unique component. And I think Dean Lingo uh, put it out there best. And, and I'm sorry, uh, I'm so used to saying Dean Lingo instead of Dr. Lingo. Or... And, and, and please, please call me Amy. This is going to, that will make me feel a lot more, you know, it, it'll be a lot more comfortable and conversational if you can do that, Dr. Owens. Perfect. We will do that. And you can call me Sean, by the Sean, way. Sean and Andrew. That's just, this is great. <laughs> so you, you mentioned something and you said, move the work forward. That is mm -hmm. one thing I don't, maybe Dr. McCart, maybe you've heard, I haven't heard anyone say, or use that as a component yet. What do you think, Dr. McCart? Well, thank you, Dr. Owens. I appreciate that. And Dr. Amy, great to have you here. I'll, Dr. Amy, we'll go with that. I'll transition okay. into the first name basis. <laughs> that definition of leadership, you, you mentioned the leave it better than we found it. And we used to say that in uh, scouting with the, it's like the campground rule. You want to make it nicer than, than you found it. And I think if everyone did that, it kind of reminds me of uh, Mark Victor Hansen, who did the Chicken Soup for the Soul books with Jack Canfield. He always said, each one, reach one, each one, teach one. Or Mother Teresa said, you can't feed 100 people to feed one person. And I think just moving it forward just a little bit, if everyone did that, it would, uh, I think that sums up leadership as Dr. Owens said. So along with that, we've had a few quotes already. We're, we're known for that. Um, and who do you think exemplifies your definition of leadership as your, uh, the people that you've met through your career, the people you look up to, who are some leaders that you think live that? Yeah, I think that, you know, I think our president, Neely Bindapudi, is an amazing leader. Um, you know, I have had the good fortune of working with many women leaders and many women mentors um, throughout my career. They have been so influential in uh, what in my career and what I've been able uh, to do. And that's really having those women leaders and mentors I think have enabled me to be successful and have given me the opportunity to learn and to grow and to really see how women can lead in a very effective way. One of the things that strikes me about President Bendapudi is that she is so open and welcoming and inclusive of everyone. And I think one of, one of the uh, things that I've tried to think about as I lead this college, you know, because there's different perspectives and various viewpoints. And, and what I try to say is that I am willing to work with anyone that wants to support our college. Anyone that wants to focus on what my vision is of student success, having programs and degrees that meet the workforce needs in the Louisville community and, you know, high quality research. Anyone that wants to support my goals, I'm willing to work with them. So I think that her and, and, and she is the same way with the university. And, you know, we, we want to be inclusive. We want to work with others. We want to build those relationships because that's what's going to make us all better. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's great. And I think that can be, often be overlooked is just that willingness of leaders to, to say yes, let's let's say yes until there's something to say no to. How can we collaborate? How can we work together? And, yeah, and, uh, and I think that's one of the one of the, the things that I learned early on in my career when I was really trying to secure external funding as an, um, as an assistant professor is one of my mentors said to me, try to say yes try to say yes. And then when people see that you're willing to say yes and go the extra mile and think about how can we collaborate to and to 
benefit others. Um, it's it's been that's worked very well for me. I'm very fortunate. That's worked very well for me in my career. Well, I'll, before I give it back to Dr. Owens, I'll I'll share one quote that's similar to that. As um, Zig Ziglar says, "No one ever built a statue to a critic," and I think it's just so easy to say no and to tear things down and to put up roadblocks. But uh, from what I've seen, the ones that seem to really build things that are lasting are the ones that say yes and build relationships and develop collaborations. And mm-hmm. What I just think that in specifically in education, whether it's higher education, whether it's elementary school, middle school, high school, there's so much work to be done that we can't possibly do it alone. And so that's the reason why I rely, I have an amazing team around me that I wouldn't be effective if I didn't have that team around me, supporting me and really helping me lead and establish that vision and helping me communicate that vision to others within the college. Well, I do want to ask about your team later on, but uh, Dr. Owens, why don't I give it back to you for the next yeah, so uh, Amy, Dr. Uh-huh. Amy, as uh-huh. but it's still Dr. McCarthy, Dr. <laughs> Dr. Amy. So, Dr. Amy, um, this is probably going to be a very easy question for you because oh, it's obviously very personal. I like easy questions. <laughs> and so, you know, you're sitting in the chair um, as the dean of the college. For those who are seeing us on YouTube, CEHD just stands for the College of Education and Human Development. Um, you're sitting, you, you, you're pretty there. I mean, you're at the top there, you know, I'm not saying everyone's gunning for your chair, but you're at the top, right. As the Dean of the college right. of education and human development. But could you tell us about your leadership journey to the top? Yeah. So, um, I, uh, it, it's very unexpected, I think. So I was, um, I'm a first generation college student. Um, and as you said, I am a native Kentuckian. I was born in Winchester, Kentucky, which is East of Lexington. I, you know, I grew up, both of my parents had graduated from high school and it was really my mom who from a very young age really instilled in me the importance of education and the importance of being independent, right? And and not having to rely on others to, uh, to be, to be really. So um, I always knew that I was gonna go to college and was fairly successful. I was was successful in high school, you know, had good grades. So I marched on to Transylvania University, which at the time, um, I, I, I was so shocked that I got in that I went, right? So private liberal arts school had no idea. But what happened when I got there, I realized that while I was prepared academically for transy, I was not prepared as a first generation student. And now looking back, I realized that when you are a first generation student, you do not have the social capital. You don't really know the ins and the outs of what college is, what the structure is, what strategies, because no one has been there to tell you. I mean, guidance counselors try to tell you in high school, but until you're like really there and experience it, you really, you really don't know. And I remember my parents really struggling to find the money to send me to Transy. And I got there my first semester and and I'm sharing this just because I want I want people out there to know that you can fail and you can learn from that failure and then you can still be successful. So my first semester I came home, I you know, lived on campus, I came home and my parents were so especially my mom, she was so excited to see my grades and I knew I had not done well my first semester. And at the time, you know, in the in the 80s, they were mailing grades, you know, and you would kind of watch in your mailbox as to when those grades got there. And I just remember that it was like the day before Christmas Eve, my first semester, and I go there, we open the envelope 1.75, you know, and then the academic probation letter came. And I just remember for the first time in my life, looking at my mother's face and just seeing sheer disappointment. Because if you think about it, I was taking, I had an opportunity that she never had of going to college. And she was just like, what are you doing? I did come back strong the next semester, 3.0. 
So I think that, you know, but it was through that failure that I realized coming and bouncing back that I realized that I can do hard things. Mm -hmm. I'm resilient. I have some... I, I can do hard things. So, um, so anyway, so through, um, graduated from transient and, and decided that I wanted to be a teacher, which I probably should have been all along, but my parents were like, you should do something that make, makes more money. Teaching doesn't really make any money. Teachers, you know, you just don't want to be just a teacher. Well, you know, and so, so I got my teaching certificate and I got a job teaching students with disabilities and I decided I was going to go into special education um, because I was really interested in how students learn and what are some things that we can do to help students, particularly students that struggled, how we can help them and teach them in better ways. So I uh, so I got my teaching certificate. I got a job right out of right out of the gate, teaching middle school in Lexington, Kentucky. And at the time, the Kentucky Teacher Internship Program was was in play. And my mentor from UK, who observed me a couple, three, four times during that year, she said to me, we have a mat we have a, a grant for master for a master's degree it will co- completely pay for your master's degree will you come to uk and get your master's degree and i said sure i love school i always love school so i went i got my master's um degree and, and then during that time they were able to bring me on full-time as a graduate assistant when i went to uk my intention was still to go back and teach i still my passion is teaching i still teach a class here uh this semester and so i stayed on and then i ended up just staying on getting my doctorate and then i thought you know i want i wanted to have an impact broader i mean the impact that i was able to have in my classroom was amazing but then i thought well what about a broader impact so if i was teaching teachers so i had eight students in my class but if i teach teachers to teach students with disabilities and i have 20 of them and then each of those teachers go out and they have on their own classroom so my in of intervention just kept getting larger right? right so i so i ended up um i was at bellarmine for two years and i've been here at the university of Louisville for 15 and a half years i started as an assistant professor i, I served as an associate dean for almost five years before being asked to to serve as the interim dean and and i told someone the other day they said why do you want why why do you like being a dean or why do you want to be a dean i said it's the largest intervention i can find <laughs> great answer <laughs> answer right that's amazing that is it. so um some of it was intention some of it was happenstance i believe um I think I heard Oprah Winfrey use this. She's like, luck is when preparation meets opportunity. So you were prepared and opportunities just kept coming. And obviously, you, had, and you I kept, kept saying, saying yes. yes. Yes, you just kept saying yes. yes. Absolutely. I'm happy to help. Absolutely. You know, I can, I can do this. And so, you know, I think maybe it was growing up on a farm, that work ethic. I enjoy work. I I love to work. And so I think that that is, um, so you're right. I think that when you, when you work hard, you seek opportunity and you try to do the right thing. I think I'm very lucky. Again, again, I'm very fortunate. I feel very blessed to have had the opportunities that I've had. Oh, no doubt. I, I, I Dr. McCart has a, has a saying, I don't want to steal it, Dr. McCart. I know I'm going to mess it up. I think it's like, what is it? Show up and we're, I, I don't know, man. Well, well, yeah, it's a three-step process for success, and that's uh, well. I always say suit up and show up. I don't know if that's what you're talking about, but it's go to work, stay at work, and work at work. And <laughs> but believe me, I mean the opportunities will just follow you if you just. And I think it helps when you do work that you're passionate about. Right. I mean, I am still just as passionate when I walk into a classroom or when I am able to talk to students about the benefits of higher education, because I think, look what higher education has done for me. Look what higher education has done for my family and for the future generations. Um, of, I mean, it's just it's, it's amazing to me sometimes in this when, when when I really sit and, th- and think and reflect about it, it's it, it it's overwhelming. 
Yes, that that's amazing, Doctor McCart. What do you what do you, what do you have to say about this? Because I know you're the you're the one liner guru around here, not me. Well, I did see Charlie Munger, who's the co-founder in Berkshire Hathaway, as Warren Buffett said, uh, "If you want to succeed at something, get really interested in it." I just saw that yesterday, and I, I think that's sort of what Dean Lingo's talking about: being really interested, being curious, being excited and passionate about a topic. I think that'll that'll go a long way. So, well. Dean Lingo, looking at your LinkedIn over here, you've got so many degrees that you you have to push the button to expand that section because LinkedIn can't I, handle. I do. All the I do love school. I mean, my grandfather, my grandfather always said to me, "Are you ever going to really finish?" <laughs> I don't think so. I think I'll be one of those. Don't they give like free tuition to the to senior citizens? I'm going to be like in law school when I'm a senior citizen. <laughs> Well, that's, I think that sounds great. Yeah, they do. It's free tuition after, I think, 65. So, yeah, I'll, I'll see you in class. Then. You'll see me in class. That's right. That's Rose. right. That'll be great. Uh, well, we wanted to ask you a little bit about your um, sort of your tribe. You mentioned earlier that the team that you have around you and um, the leadership experts we study and listen to, they say it's great to have heroes, mentors, coaches, advisors, to have a tribe around you to, to help succeed. And so you sort of mentioned earlier the the team and the individuals you have around you that help you. And I'm just wondering if you could tell us a little bit about that in a way that our audience and, and we can learn from you and how do you assemble such a such a good team? Oh, my team is so amazing. So um, I um, intentionally have individuals that think differently than I do. So they're from different content expertise areas. They're from different, they, they come from different aspects than, than, than what I bring to the table. And when stepping into this interim dean role, I knew that would only make the team and the college stronger if I had diversity, diverse perspectives, at the table. And so like Dr. Jeff Sun, there is no one more innovative in the world than Dr. Jeff Sun. He's creative, he's flexible. And so I, you know, he was just someone that I just said, I want him on my team. You know, Dr. Meg Hancock is just so, she's very student focused. She is very enthusiastic. She's very passionate about the work that she does. And Dr. Marion Hambrick is like the most thoughtful, analytical. I'll always say to him, he's kind of like the stealth bomber. Like he just flies under the radar and then all of a sudden it's boom, think about this. And you're just like, why didn't I think about that? So it's, it's so I've really, I've intentionally created a team that um, is diverse. So I have a, a post-it note on my computer that says, in an imperfect state of the human mind, the interests of truth require diversity of opinions. And I completely believe that. So intentionally, I surround myself with individuals that will think differently and who will give me a more broad perspective about any issue that, that, we, that we face. So the team is critical. You can't, you can't do the work alone. Well, and I think that's, I love the way you describe that and getting that difference of opinion. I think it's easy for a lower level of leader would surround themselves with, with yes people, yes men or yes women that would agree with them. And, you know, let's. Right. You know, and both, sometimes, both right. And sometimes like I'll say to them, like in a, in a meeting, I'll say, okay, here's what I'm thinking. Argue with me and tell me why my thinking is wrong. So I like encourage them to argue with me or have different perspectives that, that, than I do. And, and we do that a lot, but I really think that I make, I make better decisions when, when that occurs. Mm -hmm. That occurs. Uh, yeah, I think that's, that says a lot about you as a leader because it's, we all like the good feedback. <laughs> Feedback's nice, but that, uh, the, the tough feedback's a little harder, but they, they say it's the breakfast of champions to, to ask for that feedback and uh, that's going to grow if you don't. If you right. Don't. That's going to be that's going to be my one liner from today, Andrew. Tough feedback is the is, is, is the breakfast of champions. <laughs> Let me just tell you, I've got to, I must be eating Wheaties every day. Yeah, it's the most important meal of the day. So yeah, I'm glad you like that. That's good. Uh, and, and I'm going to ask you about feedback because you've written an article about that and that I found in my research. So we'll we'll get to that in a little bit. But I uh, 
Dr. Owens and I have to share the questions, so I'll turn it over to him. <laughs> As we've always said, there is no sharing of questions. If, if we, 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 just, we just have a good flow. We have a good chemistry. We rock back and forth. And, um, you know, we're going to transition a little bit away from a little bit of leadership and getting into to learning. Obviously, everyone on this on this call is 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 highly invested in, in the education realm and education world and educating adults. Right. Uh, educating uh, people who want to uh, get into the, the world and the realm of, of teaching other people um, with it being Women's History Month. Have another great quote from Barbara Shear, who's a career who was a career counselor and author. She said, you can learn new things at any time in your life if you're willing to be a beginner. If you actually learn to like being a beginner, the whole world opens to you. So with that being said, knowing that we're all beginners here, um, in your opinion, Dr. Amy, I saw it's so funny saying that I laugh every I time. <laughs> in your opinion, how do you think learning has changed or is changing since you began your career in education? Well, I mean, first of all, I mean, this kind of dates me. So the people are going to know, Sean, that I'm not 30. But you're only, I mean, that's what I said. When you said that you, you said in the eighties, that means like you were like three. (laughs) Oh, I wish. wish. (laughs) So, um, so I think one of the things obviously is technology. And I think we're seeing that now just in the past year than we have ever seen it before. Right. And I think that because students and teachers and, you know, faculty here, here in higher ed, we have so much access to technology and the information that I think that's that's really changed right I mean uh, you know I'm a mom and my I worry that my 12 year old daughter is does she really know how to add and subtract or she can just say hey Siri you know what's 24 times 72 and then it just comes and I'm like wait a minute wait a minute so I think that you know that that students just have so much more access to information and technology um, and how do they, I mean, and that's good and bad, right? right? I mean, it's, it's great because we can use technology as a tool, but technology can also be a distraction. It can consume us. It can um, give us false information. So now we're having to teach students what's truth and then what's not the truth right mm-hmm. so having to go to that different level that then than previously that that we had had to do you know especially you know 25 or 30 years ago you, you made a great point i was taking a note i was paying attention when you said <laughs> you have to teach them what's truth versus what's not truth i thought that was a a great a great point because like you said um i have kids and they do spend a lot of time on YouTube. I don't know if they ask Siri a lot of questions, um, but maybe it's I, just not while you're around, Sean. One hundred percent, one hundred percent. I know it's happening, right? right? Because I've seen it happen, right? Because they'll they'll be asking me like, "Dad, why are you doing this?" Just ask Siri, and it'll automatically populate. So I know it's happening. As you, you know, what I'm saying okay. it's happening. It's just not always happening in my face. Um, but and and you kind of alluded to you know your daughter and saying like you know that's the pitfall for her of having an educator as a mom because most moms yeah. would just they be hate like right. as Siri as Siri, I don't know I don't yeah. I don't they do not like the fact that I'm an educator I mean they just and and sometimes they will just like oh gosh she's going to say something and and really I've, I've tried to be intentionally very hands. I mean, I'm involved, but I am, I would not say that I'm overly involved. I mean, I support my, my kids, but I'm not like super like in their, in the, in their teacher's face. If their teachers uh, will have to agree, they listen to this, (laughs) that I'm not, I'm not like, I'm not like super over, I'm not over involved, but I do think, you know, I can remember my son though, early, like four years old. And he goes, just search it up on your phone, like search it up. (laughs) search it up right i mean some of them like you all don't even know encyclopedia you don't even know dictionary the other thing this has done i think with technology is that it it has the good thing is i think it's expanded kids vocabulary because he is able he knows he loves podcasts and he knows a lot about so many different things and it's whatever interests him right so he learns about soccer uh, like uh, athletes in England and he learned those places that previously we would have had to like look at an encyclopedia or whatever and he knows so much more because the information can be 
gathered a lot more efficiently through multiple modes and means, documentaries, and so forth. Yeah, that, that's a lot. So, Dr. McCart, we know that 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 you're about to join the parental club. What, what do you have to say? What do you have to say? Well, I'll add that my mom was a second grade teacher for 35, 40 years. So she was, she, she didn't interfere, but there were very, very much things that she, you know, the way I would write, the way I would speak, our grammar, the, mm -hmm. you know, sit up training, don't eat like this. You've got to bend over at your waist. So that's right. That's right. Turned out to be good. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and I love her. We still talk regularly, of course. So yeah. But uh, well, this next question, and we, we want to ask things that you've learned during your career that, women or anyone can learn from things that you uh, adopted but i want to before i let you answer there i want to say it can range from your uh, background in farming when you grew up i yeah. we talked a little bit yesterday i put right. up tobacco for a season so and we talked about you did tobacco farming growing up mm -hmm. uh, there's some articles that uh, i, I want to reference to make sure we get these in here but um I think that these articles that you have published, you've been widely published, by the way, for our audience in case they don't know, but things like um, giving opportunities for students to respond. I imagine that's good for the workplace. And that's one thing I think you do a great job as the dean is allowing us to give feedback and, right. and acting on feedback. So, and feedback is a highly effective instructional practice both ways right so teacher giving feedback to students corrective feedback or specific feedback around their behavior or their academic performance but it's also important that students give teachers also feedback because that's when teachers can really learn what strategies are students bringing to the classroom that we can tap into and strengthen or build on to make their learning move to the next level. So, and, and this idea around feedback for continuous improvement is something that I have believed throughout my career, whether that is, you know, as a teacher, as an assistant department chair, as an associate dean, and now as a dean is we need an accurate, um, we need accurate feedback about how we're doing because it's only then that we're going to learn and do better. So I and that requires open conversation, right? And developing a sense of safety and security that you are able to receive that. So I think that that's one of the key things that I've learned in this role is that you can't take criticism personally because if you did <laughs> you would be you wouldn't you could you literally could not survive doing the job i think i've learned to say i'm sorry at the time i thought i was making the right decision but for whatever reason i realize now i didn't make the decision but to go back and to apologize and then learn from that and move forward so i mean those are just two i mean i've learned being in this role, I have learned so much. And I don't think that any class or any coach, I did have an executive coach for a year. Um, and she, she said to me, she goes, I don't think I've ever seen anyone that wants feedback the way that, that you do. Because again, I think it's only then that you can really reflect and think about how, how you're going, how you're going to get better. You know, people that don't, that don't accept feedback well, they're gonna, I, I don't think they're gonna go as far right, <laughs> in, right. in, in leadership. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and I think finding that balance of how, how to accept feedback. So we were talking to Coach Holly recently of the uh, Racing Louisville's head coach and Dr. Owens and I said, we get our feedback on an anonymous evaluation a couple months later. If he makes a mistake, a stadium of people boo, for, boo at him. <laughs> it's immediate and, and feedback, right? I mean, yeah, so somewhere in the middle is more of a... Right, but that's the beauty of sports, right? Like constantly, you, like you have that coach that's constantly throughout the game and throughout multiple times in practice can constantly give you feedback. I mean, how many times do we really take the time after a meeting to say, what went well in that meeting? What feedback do you have for me about how we could improve? you know, and be more productive. So I think that's something that we could learn from, from athletics is, is that immediate, the immediacy of getting feedback. Right. 
Yeah, well, I think I like that. And I think it's, uh, I've heard it described as it's like harvesting. So we do in our project management, we do the uh, lessons learned at the end of any project. It's like harvesting the things that we've learned or else it's uh, like that field of tobacco. If you don't bring it in the barn, then all the work was was for naught. That's right. To, uh, what you learned from the process. So, uh, well, Dr. Owens, please. No, I mean, I think, and listen, I, I was sitting here taking notes. I felt like I was a student between the, uh, Dr. Amy and Dr. <laughs> Andrew uh, discussing feedback. I love it. I was in here writing, taking a ton of notes, right? Dropping a, a lot of gold nuggets. Uh, shout out to, uh, I just want to give a shout out to uh, all of my students, right? I, I just I will be implementing this semester in my in my all of my classes. Speaking of feedback, uh, Dr. Amy, I will be putting two wikis in there. Oh, and nice. the whole point of adding the wikis at midterm and towards the end of the term is to say, hey, it's almost like in the military. Uh, we have what we call an AAR, an after action review, where you have to say, what are three things that are going good? What are three things that weren't did not go well? And then what right. can we improve upon the next go around? And so I want to you know, ask all of my students, hey, what is going so good so far in this class? What is not going good in this class? And then, uh, you know, so all of my students who are in uh, LEAD 311, 412, and 460, be ready to critique me before you actually critique me. <laughs> right. Well, and I think, and I think it's, also, it's, it's also important to lead, for leaders to know that you can't respond to every piece of criticism right? right so you might get feedback one person might love what you're doing the other person might hate what you're doing and so you have to kind of find that balance because you know i said that if i responded to every piece of criticism i would feel like i was playing whack-a-mole all the time right. like mm -hmm. oh that popped up oh i made that you know and and so that's exhausting mm -hmm. <laughs> so you know you really have to think about and reflect this is what this is what suits my style this is what i think is good for the organization and then this is how we can um and this is what will benefit the organization that's good that's good and it kind of ties into the question i i, I wanted to i want to ask next mm -hmm. and it just kind of says this you know we are um in technology you know obviously we are in an assessment driven world at this point in time everything has to have an analytic or a story behind it or whatever the case may be mm -hmm. what are some good data points that you use that kind of can advance uh, or that you think can advance either whether it be the university or even the college most specifically you know the university has invested in recent years in you know many systems that provide us with a lot of good information, a lot of good data. Mm -hmm. I think one of the most important things, I think a lot of times we can be data rich and decision poor. Gotcha. So, you know, we can like have all this data, but like, what are we doing with it? Mm -hmm. So, you know, I have asked, you know, the advising team to think about what are some questions that we really want to know the answers to? Like, like it might be, how are first generation students performing in their second semester classes their first year, right? Mm -hmm. So if we know that they tend to, or if data tell us that they tend to not do as well in their second year, then I'm encouraging my advising staff to let, how can we be proactive? So if we know this group of students is likely to have difficulty in these courses this semester, then what can we put in place up front to support them so that they are so or is it maybe we need to do some teaching strategies or test taking strategies or is it the schedule of classes right are we being student centered or are we being faculty centered right. so in terms of student centered like it's really hard if you're working for ups to take 8 a.m classes Right. So do we have the ability to say, okay, you work at UPS, you're a Metroversity student. So we know that this group of Metro or UPS um, students need to take this section of class at one o'clock so that they can take classes and then go work. Those right. are, those are the kind of the proactive supports that we can put in place if we're looking at data. So I, I encourage us to look at data that really will focus on what our students need to be successful. We just got some retention numbers last week. You know, and Dr. Hancock was telling me our retention is better this year than it was last year from year one to year two. And then, you know, previously we had looked at are there certain programs that have that 
typically aren't, um, don't have good retention. So really thinking about what we can do to put good quality student supports in place. One of the things we've done is that we've, in terms of first year um, students, first year full-time, first year full-time students, they take an academic orientation class. We put faculty in place to teach those courses because it makes sense to me that faculty be in front of our first year students, that they have a definite connection with someone that they can connect with, someone that's going to be in their intended major. You know, some of them will switch majors, but I wanted them to be in um, in a space where they had someone, a faculty member that knew the resources to the university that they could connect with. So I made the department chairs in the teaching and learning departments teaching the teaching those courses because again, that perspective is so important for faculty. And and I think when faculty teach, when department chairs teach, I'm teaching you always have that student perspective at the forefront. So every decision that I make, every meeting that I'm in, I always think that first year student, what is this gonna be like for them? Or, and now it's, I'm teaching in the Louisville Teacher Residency Program. And I think, what is it, what is their experience in terms of they didn't sign up to teach completely in a virtual manner for Jefferson County Public Schools, yet they are. So what what is it that I can do to support them? That's interesting. By the way, we want to give a shout out to our third podcast guest, Dr. Marty Polio. Oh, He's great. Superintendent. He, he, was, he, was, he was our third guest in January. Uh, but yeah, he, he actually talked about the Louisville uh, Teacher Residency Program yep. Uh, yep. during that podcast. So for all our right. listeners out there, if you want to figure out about it, if you're in the area, go ahead, go ahead and listen to that podcast with Dr. Yep. Polio. You can get some great information. About and you'll have me as an instructor. <laughs> and there you go. You <laughs> have Dr. You go. Amy. Yes, yes, yes. I, I teach the class on Friday morning. So I don't have it tomorrow morning because it is spring break like you all mentioned earlier but it, you know again it's it's a how to teach reading course and so again the fact that I can have that experience in front of students is just so important and meaningful to me that's amazing Dr. McCart I don't want to steal all the oxygen out of the room to steal your term <laughs> Well, I, I, you know, I like to have my, and now back to me. That's my favorite part. So, um, yeah, I, I, I told Dr. Owens, I'm not much, but I'm all I think about. So, uh, anyway, the, I, I want to uh, comment on a few things. You said so many things there, Dean Lingo, that I, I want to comment on. And, um, you know, we study the Toyota way in, in leadership. And they say that to understand the work, you have to go to the, what they call the Gimba, which is where the work happens. And the, the problem they try to prevent is a lot of executives get a corner office down the hall and away from where the work actually happens, but you're in the classroom, you're there, you're in touch. So I, uh, that, that's, uh, it's good to know when actual leaders we get to talk to are doing the things we talk about. So, um, but the, the question I want to ask you about, and it's, it's really uh, about how COVID has changed things. And I want to tell a, a quick story about you and you may or may not remember this, but when uh, this was, maybe February or early March last year and you and I got to walk across campus and oh. you were asking me about uh, COVID and you said, well, you've got a public health background, Andrew, what do you think? And I uh, um, I didn't know what to think yet, but and, and nobody was really sure with the lockdowns that hadn't happened yet. And I will say the one thing that you said in our, in our meetings, you said, well, I have to get Ryan and Meg and all those students back. And you were so outward focused on those other people. I mean, that made me a, a fan of yours right away. Oh. Because it was just thinking about so, how, to get, how to get those students back. It was a, the last flight out of Ecuador, if I'm not. Right. So, so what ha we had a group of students and um, uh, Meg and Ryan and Geneva Corte, they were in Ecuador when, during spring break of last year, when our country, you know, had the shutdown was happening and I was just so worried about them they were over there when were they going to get back so yeah so luckily they all came back they were all safe um and so yeah but that was a that was a very that was a very scary time and I think you know in thinking about the last year in 
specifically, you know, right when last March, when when everything was starting to kind of unravel, the not getting information, then getting information, then getting information and the information was changing and thinking you were going to say this, but then you realize that that was going to be inaccurate. And just, I mean, it, 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 I don't think there would be anything that could teach me more, right? I mean, it, it, what a what an opportunity to leave during a, a horrific time in an unprecedented time, but a time where I really saw it as an opportunity to learn. I, I saw it as an opportunity to to lean on others to help me, um, to, to, you know, to help us all get through this, but while maintaining calmness and strength and wanting to make sure that we were reasonable we kept people as safe as that we could as safe as we could trying to not escalate when it wasn't but as you all as you all know the most one of the most horrific things was when one of our colleagues passed away from the virus just a couple of weeks ago and that was that was that was difficult it was difficult for um for my team it was it was difficult for all of us and especially when you know his his family he his his wife was in the hospital uh when he passed away and, and they weren't ready to release the information or or to or to make that public yet and so that was very challenging since then you all probably received the email or you all received the email that um that I sent. And so, you know, what what a horrific just sad, sad, traumatic event the past year has been for for all of us for many reasons. Um so I think we do have to look for the light. We have to look for those the areas in which we can that offer us hope and that um in areas in which we can move forward. Yeah, that's, um, that's those are a lot of great points there. And you mentioned uh, on that walk across campus when we were talking about it, you said, you know, as a, a leader, I really like when things are a little more predictable, when things are a little more uh, stable. And um, you wouldn't know, I, I would have known it if you hadn't told me that with all the things changing, the information changing, the messaging changing, I think um, the, the communication has really stepped up and you've done a great job in that area even though it wasn't your preferred style or your preferred environment to be a leader in so just to, to give you a compliment there i said this was going to be a fan piece interview that we're we're well, big fans thank well thank that. you well 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 thank you and i think that you know that's also I, i've had to learn to be comfortable with the uncomfortable right i mean even with the with with the racial unrest and the racial injustices that have existed for a really long you know hundreds of years but have come to light especially since um you know Brianna Taylor it was murdered i mean getting comfortable being uncomfortable and being able to have a space for for people to discuss and to learn and unlearn that has again i have grown so much and 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 for that i wouldn't this past year has taught me so much and so i wouldn't change that for the world because i do think i'm a better leader now than i was last march 4th well i, I think that's uh, it goes back to the very beginning when we say better than we found it right yeah. to be uh, Okay, it's Shawshank Redemption. They say get busy living or, or get busy dying, but it's that right. idea of growth and constantly moving in, in a good direction. So, well, Dr. Owens, please uh, take it away here before I. Uh... Well, you know, yeah, I, 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 um, I think that I have given Dr. Amy, um, for those that don't know, I was hired at the university uh-huh. and, at the end of September, and there was a question. Uh, they asked me at the end uh, it was Dr. Amy and Dr. Hambrick on the interview and the one question um, that I asked that I thought was as you said I hadn't thought of it and so I have added it to um, the interview questions that all of our participants have have asked and I just want to ask you what positives i mean we heard the great story but what positives has COVID 19 caught us concerning you know we can say education we can say life we can say leadership you can put anything in there but what are the positives that COVID 19 has taught us or taught you 
Right. I think number one, flexibility. I mean, I think it's taught us all to be flexible, right? I mean, that we can do things in different ways that we had never done before. And I think that it's taught us more about technology and what that looks like. But I also think that it's taught, especially this younger generation, and I'm talking about as a mom, it has taught my children to be resilient. I mean, last spring, they had to flip into completely online school. They had to be separated from their friends. They had to practice soccer in different ways. They had to do, so that resilience now they have the opportunity to look back on and say, we can do hard things. Mm-hmm. We can get through. Yeah, we, if, if something's canceled, it's no big deal. <laughs> we Things have been canceled on us before. So I think it's taught us, you know, it's, it's taught us definitely resilience. I think it's taught us patience and adaptability and flexibility. I think that it's also um, taught us that we have to lean on each other and the importance of the community that that we have you know one of the things that i miss the most uh because of COVID are the interactions that i'm able to have with my colleagues and with my students and so that i miss that and I am looking forward to the day when our building is bustling and when I can look at my window and I can see students, because in case you all don't know, I get my energy from people. (laughs) And so, and so I miss, I miss, I do miss those interactions. That's good. That's good. I like that. I I liked everything you listed there. Flexible, adaptable, resiliency, uh, the community. I've noticed that you, you have said this several times throughout this, this interview, we can do hard things. Is that like your personal affirmation (laughs) mantra? Yeah. You know, I do. I think that it's only through, I mean, yeah, we can do really hard things. And once you do something hard, then the next thing you can say, I did something hard. So I can do something hard again so one of the things that my team so uh marion and meg are runners and so i told this story in front of uh, of of the college one time is when i became uh the interim dean obviously we all need some form of self-care and so mine was walking in the morning and so marion and meg just happened to say to me well you're putting in the time for walking why don't you run And I was like, run, really? And they were like, I said, but I've never done anything athletic in my entire life. And they said, oh, you can do it. So of course I start training for this mini marathon. I do the mini marathon. And I thought one or two things will happen after that mini marathon. Either I will say, hmm, that was nice. I don't need to do another one. (laughs) Or, oh, mm, I really liked that. So you all can probably guess (laughs) which one I decided to do. So I, and like, I've done like three since then. Right. I mean, they've been, they've had to be virtual, but I think though that that is, that it's a way in which you can, I, I, I run in the mornings or I bike in the mornings, but I think it's a way in which I feel that it's my time alone. It's my self care, but it's also an accomplishment. I feel like I've accomplished something. Right. And so I think, doing hard things is important for self-confidence. I think it's an important model for my children to see that I take risks, that I work hard and opportunities can come when that, when those things happen. That's amazing. Dr. McCart, you want to chime in on this? Well, I thought you'd never ask Dr. Owens. Thank you. Well, I, uh, these, I'm glad you mentioned the story, Dean Lingo, about the the running, because I remember that story and I wanted to ask you about this. And uh, you wrote an article about shared story reading, teaching mathematics uh, to students with moderate and severe disabilities and and the power of using literature to create a context for problem solving. And um, you've told stories about the running. You told a story, I believe, about a I don't know if it was a five iron or a nine iron, but the oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. If I said, yeah, about, yeah. So I try, yeah. And I think that that's, I think it's important. I think stories help people to connect. And it's very important that I connect with others. And so I think through storied reading, or in, in that case, it was setting a context 
so that children could see how a math problem is in a real world story, mm -hmm. right? And so, you know, you try to set the context so that students can, we call it in special education, generalize from one setting in which we're teaching to a real world setting. And so I think that's the same. I mean, to me, I think connecting with people is telling those stories and hopefully somebody will remember something about it. <laughs> Well, for sure. And I think it's a great technique. And really, that's how knowledge, I think, transferred over the millennia through through the spoken word and stories. And I still think it's a great teaching technique and in addition to helping people relate. So um, we'll go to the next question I wanted to ask and be sure we get to. But um, why should women choose or still choose to go into education in yeah. 2021? So well, month, I know you've. Yeah, I think that, you know, I think that teaching and education is still the most important profession, in my opinion, in the entire world. I mean, what other profession touches all other professions, right? And so I think, and I also think that so many times women get channeled into education because it's typical, right? I mean, one of my heroes is Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and she said, I thought I was going to be a kindergarten teacher or that was like one of her early things was I was going to be a kindergarten teacher. And I think that so many times society has kind of said that being a teacher is an appropriate career for, for a woman and it's beyond that, right? I mean, it's, it's beyond because it, it also teaching and education, it also leads you to other pathways and other career opportunities. And so I think that it's still a great profession. You are, it, it's, you learn something every single day, whether you are, you know, a teacher in the K-12 system, where you're a teacher in higher education, whether you're teaching airplane pilots and doing professional learning with UPS, you're, you're always, it's, you're always learning and you're always able to make that connection with students. And it kind of goes back to you're making them better than when you found them, or you're imparting knowledge on them that they didn't have previously. So it's, it's amazing. That's a great answer, by the way. Yeah. It is a great answer. Yeah. That's uh I don't have anything to add to that. Um, so, Dr. Owens, in the interest of time, I know I always accuse you of being the fun one. And uh, we'll let you uh, take over the fun section as well as maybe the rapid fire before that. But why don't, uh, why don't I hand it over to you as we start to wind things down here? Although I feel like we could talk. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. I will. Let me get this off the screen. So, yes. Dr. Amy. Yes. We have what we have implemented around these parts on the Cardinal Call podcast, what we call rapid fire. Rapid fire are some fun questions where we can gain a little bit of insight, but we want you to answer with the first thing okay. that comes okay. to mind. I'm ready. Are you ready? Are yes. you ready? I have my hand on the buzzer. Okay, got your hand on the buzzer. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. First question, rapid fire, round one. If you could pick one word to describe your life so far, what would it be and why? Privileged. Ooh, nice. Why? Well, because, you know, I'm a white female that had parental support to go and seek education. And I've just been privileged to be mentored by some great women. I've been privileged to lead this college. And I recognize that. Okay. Next question, round two. You passed. What are three non-negotiable characteristics that anyone on your team or tribe has to have? They have to be positive, they have to be hardworking, and they have to be honest. I love them. Okay, yeah. you advance. Round three, here we go. What is your favorite dessert? Dr. Pentecost lemon bars. If you haven't had them, you should try them. She's, I'm telling you, she, she could sell them. They're, they're Dr. Hambrick's favorite as well. I'm going to add that to the list. Good, good, good. thing this is recorded. Okay, round four. If you weren't in higher education, what would you be doing? Oh, that's a good one. Uh, a lawyer. A or a politician. Or a politician. 
Oh, you're too positive to be a politician. I'm sorry. <laughs> Am I? You're too happy. That's probably not gonna work. Right. That probably wouldn't work. Okay. Round five. Last question. Here we go. Rapid fire. If you could sit with your 13-year-old self, what would you tell her? Be patient. Everything is going to be okay. Just don't rush. Enjoy life every moment. You've successfully defended rapid fire. That's amazing. But you're not off the hook yet. (laughs) But you're not off the hook yet. Because once we do rapid fire, we have one question that we always want to ask our guest. It is what we call our fun question. It is how we will end the podcast. Mm -hmm. So, Dr. Amy, if your life was the title of a book, made up or real, what would it be and why? Maybe from farm girl to Dean. I don't I'd know. Buy I'd buy, buy it. it. I'd buy it. I'd buy it. I'd buy it. Yeah. From farm maybe. girl to Dean. Yeah. Yeah. That is an amazing interview with Dr. Oh, Amy. this was so much fun. If you ever need me to come back, I'm happy to do so because this was definitely the favorite part of my day. We will definitely have our boss back on the podcast. Thank you all so much. This is a great idea, and I had so much fun. I I really appreciate it. We had a lot of fun having you on here. Thank you, thank you, thank Thank you. you. Keep doing a great job. You're leading. You're doing great things. There's a lot of gold nuggets I know our viewers and listeners took from this interview. Great, and thank you. No problem. Dr. McCart, what say you? Oh, gosh. Well, Dr. Owens, that was uh, I'm really enjoying this Women's History Month as we're expecting a daughter or first child is going to be a daughter. And it's uh, it's really inspiring to me to to talk with so many uh, just strong, successful women who are leaders in our community. Um, it just means more to me getting ready to have a daughter here. So I don't want to I don't want to get in my feelings too much here. We've got to stay professional and run the show. But uh it was just great. It was inspiring uh, from find, leave it better than you found it to, uh, you know, she was first generation college student, but she made up for lost time as, with uh, all those degrees she picked up in, in Lexington. So uh, I, I just enjoyed that. I could go down my list here, but I've, I've got a whole page of notes that I took that I'm going to uh, practice and try to put into put into into my habits. So what about you? What, what are some things you? Listen, I took away her mantra we can do hard things or I can do hard things um, or you can do hard things. You can kind of replace that, that pronoun in the front, however you want. But I I think we can do hard things. I think it's never about, um, you know, I've heard it say many a times when someone says no, it stands for next opportunity. So it's the ability to just say, Hey, it's hard. Someone told, you, no, you didn't get the job. You didn't get this. You didn't get that. And, you know, you know, the list goes on and on. It's hard to find a job or, or you're not doing well in the class right now, but guess what? You can do hard things because once you do one hard thing, it's like a domino effect. If you do one hard thing, another thing will happen and another thing will happen and another thing will happen. And the next thing you know, you can really look back, you know, our students, right? These are, these are, uh, uh, you know, they're, they're sometimes coming to this program because the first go around didn't work out, right? It, it didn't work out. It didn't go in their favor. And they they took some time away and they went and got a career and they went and got a family and they went and got a profession. And that was really hard. And now they're in school and this COVID and the list goes on and on. But the reality is I would tell them that, Hey, guess what? You can do hard things. That would be my takeaway. Yeah, I think that's that's a great takeaway. And I think uh, another th- another one I was surprised to hear the list of uh, not really surprised because I, I know Dean Lingo's leadership style, but listing the things that non-negotiables people on our team have to have and that being positive, I think yeah. was the first one she mentioned or at least in the top three. And, you know, that was uh, I go back to the book Think and Grow Rich or Andrew Carnegie was the steel magnate to Titan of industry. And he said that one of the things that he wants people, if someone is agreeable and collaborative and positive is another way of saying that, that they can go much farther than almost any other attribute. Obviously the hardworking and the the honesty is great too, but that, that positive attitude of looking for yes, looking for ways to work together. And that was a, a hallmark of Dean Lingo's strategy that she mentioned here. So I, uh, 
I think anyone could take take this interview and, and run with it. Oh, it will go down in our Hall of Fame as definitely one of the best. Well, guess what, podcast listeners and viewers? Thank you for joining us today. You can check us out in all of our pods at uofl.me backslash leadership dash pod. Again, you can check all of our previous podcasts, including this one at uofl.me backslash leadership pods. So we hope that you enjoyed today. We hope that you enjoyed this classroom. We hope that one day, once this COVID-19 kind of gets past us and gets over us that you can either join the College of of Education and Human Development at the University of Louisville, either virtually or on campus, to get a degree that gets you ahead. We have bachelor's degrees online, master's degrees online, as well as online certificates and leadership programs in a wide range of programs that cover various industries all the way from healthcare to education and human resources. You can check all of those out at uofl.me backslash podcast dash O-L-L. Again, check out all of our online degrees, bachelor's, master's, and certificate programs at uofl.me backslash podcast dash O-L-L. So as we say around here, you can count the number of seeds in an apple, but you can never count the number of apples in the seeds. When you teach, you never know how many lives you will influence. And it is clear that Dr. Amy is influencing a lot of lives as well as her team and faculty and staff. Cardinal Nation, keep leading, keep learning, keep influencing, and we hope to see you soon. You can check us out in the meantime on YouTube, uh, on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Anchor. So don't forget to like, subscribe, and share all of our information so you know what's going on with the podcast, as well as what's going on with the college, as well as when you want to hear Dr. McCart talk about his leadership minutes and myself talking about the learning minutes. So until then, take care and stay safe.